Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast on this 4th of March 2020. I'm your surreal, Gerald Quinn. This is the Real Deal Podcast as we are joined by Kelsey Nicole Nelson. How you doing, Kelsey? I'm great. How are you? Thank you. And I just would like to uh, apologize. Uh, <laughs> we had a little technical issue here. On um, technical issue here, I'm definitely I, I apologize for that, and and I appreciate no problem. I appreciate your patience. I've been uh, definitely wanting to speak to you for for a while. Kelsey Nicole Nelson is a one of the rising stars of the DMV in terms of sports reporting, media personality. She uh, joins the program tonight. We discuss a variety of things in terms of her career and uh, in terms of sports media as well. Again, this is this is your host, Surreal Gerald Quinn of the Real Deal Podcast. We are we we are now on um my with my youtube audience so we you can check us out on my youtube my youtube channel real deal podcast we all set we're on youtube block talk radio of course as always you'll be able to check us out on stitcher itunes um stitcher itunes spotify and a number of a variety of platforms kelsey how are you doing this evening i am great i'm very glad to be on it's always fun to talk and I'm a big supporter of yours. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this first time on your show. Thank you for joining me. Um, last now, before you even talk about getting to your career in the, the sports world, um, from what I understand, you were on the uh, – you were part of Super Tuesday in, in terms of Virginia. How was that coverage uh, – uh, how was that event as in comparison to some of the other sporting events you've covered as far as, um, as, far as that goes? How did that go last night? Yeah, so I'll tell you, I mean, a lot of times people really think there's a huge difference in terms of the coverage for politics and sports, but they're both crazy busy um, and super busy, and there's a lot that goes with them, and you just have to know your stuff. And I think especially with this campaign season, I think more people than ever um, are paying attention to politics, which is a good thing, but with so many Democratic candidates, it's really was really trying to grasp uh, what viewers wanted, what viewers wanted to hear, what issues were important to them. And I think with all of the big news that we saw come out, such as Bloomberg dropping out the race, um, and now really most are just saying it's, you know, it's either going to be Biden or Bernie Sanders. Um, and Biden has been taking some strong leads. So the campaign coverage has been fun. I was in South Carolina doing something similar um, last week on Friday for their primary coverage. So I, all I can say is all is going really well, um, but it's intense. And I think whoever wins this Democratic uh, seat is really going to have a time going against our current president, President uh, Donald J. Trump. So it's, it's intense. It's a lot. Um, but it's great. I get to really talk to Americans in essence and really see what they're looking for in leadership when it comes to our next uh, leader. But Virginia is always one of those great battleground states. Uh, a lot of people look to Virginia to see what the rest of the country will do. So um, I think we learned a lot from it. What was the uh, atmosphere like there? Was uh, was there a lot of buzz? Was the I, I mean, I, I was looking at some of the coverage. I saw some lines in Texas where you had – People out there waiting out there three to four hours even before uh, before the uh, polls open or not polls open but before they give you they, they can even vote. How was was that was it that type of atmosphere in Virginia? Yeah, so I think it depends on where you were in Virginia, but there were a lot of people who came early to vote. Um, and it just shows everybody really wants their vote to be heard um, and make, wanting to feel like they have a voice um, in this election. So I think it was crazy. We didn't see any. I think of the. Uh, craziness sometimes you see on TV when it comes to voting. Um, I think we'll see more of that as we continue in this election uh, trail. But I always say a lot of these things, it's just like it's a media circuit. Everyone and everyone and anyone um, there because everyone's trying to break the news first of who's leading the polls, um, you know, how votes are going. They want to get viewers, per, uh, voters' perceptions and things like that. So it's literally I just came back from Super Bowl in Miami, and the campaign trail has been no less intense than that. I'm talking about this in terms of sheer media numbers. There's so many outlets now uh, that are paying attention to this. And even though I, you know, I've mostly done sports, uh, there's also sports implications, uh, you know, based on whoever wins 
uh, this election. So, and then we see more athletes getting involved in politics. So you'd be surprised sometimes some of the people you see covering this uh, campaign trail. But it's been it's been intense, um, and I think it's going to continue to get intense, you know, until we find out who that person is just going to be that represents the Democratic Party. Yeah, it's going to be a definitely a year long process as we you know head into uh, this uh, part of the season before the primaries and all and all that good stuff. Now you've been you are born and bred in the DMV area. You went to the University of Maryland. How yes. what drove you into Baltimore? What drove you into broadcasting? I know you now. Listen, I, I could feel the excitement. I know your Maryland Turpins, they are back—they're back in the mix for the first time in a long time, as far as being contenders. Yes. I, I, I felt, <laughs> <laughs> we want to go dancing. <laughs> yes, yeah, you should. You should. Maryland's in Maryland. Listen, I—I'm a, I'm a North Carolina fan, so it's been a rough year from from Ontario. So I, I've had to—I've had to eat that, but. Um, I definitely respect what Maryland is doing right now, and I definitely remember those battles that Maryland had in the ACC with with Carolina and Duke. And I, to be honest with you, I don't think Maryland should have ever. Now again, business is business. We know money and po- we know how powerful the dollar bill is. So I understood why that move was made. But uh, I, it's the ACC has not is not the same to me without Maryland. I mean that that Maryland, Duke, North Carolina, NC State. Uh, it, it just I, Maryland just brought a, a different type of feel to the ACC, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on the? Uh, I mean, what, what is what drove you into broadcasting before we get into uh, uh, Maryland Turpins? Sure. So yeah, I'm born and bred in the area or area as we like to say here, um, but I love it. And it's, if you've been to the DMV, you know how big sports are. But my ties kind of go way back because my parents are actually from deep down south. Uh, my dad, I always share this story, but I'm a daddy's girl, and my dad is a girl dad. Um, and he went to Grambling State University. And so from the time I was born, um, I, I knew sports. I knew about Grambling football. Um, I knew about the Doug Williams of the world, the Eddie Robinson. Um, and I played sports, um, and I absolutely loved it. So there was never a time in my life where I wasn't around uh, the game. And I played many different sports growing up, and I've always just loved that competitive edge uh, what sports does to bring us all together. So I knew whatever I did in life was going to have to be uh, related to sports. And luckily I was able to continue my education at University of Maryland for undergrad. They had a great sports program that I got to cover. And I was actually there when Maryland uh, switched over to the Big Ten. So being a student in that and getting to experience that, uh, you know, was something in itself. But going to Maryland, growing up, going to games at Cole Field House and then the Xfinity Center um, and then going to Ravens games here, going to Redskins games. And I mean, in the DMV, we have every professional uh, type of sports team. So I grew up just going to so many different things um, and getting to then intern in that when I got to a certain age, but I, I loved it. You could not, you had to pull me away from games to get away. And like I said, my dad's a sports encyclopedia. Um, and then just going back with my family and friends who played sports, I just, I always knew I wanted to be around the game. So that's kind of what led me to it. Got to do an undergrad, went to Georgetown, continued and got my graduate degree in sports industry management. So it's just something I've always loved. You know, I, I, I always remember watching so many sports supporters come before me. And I love how they were able to storytell and connect the audience and really make us feel like a part of the story or make us feel like we were at um, the game. So it's kind of second knowledge to me. It's like I, I don't know when I've ever been um, away from it. And then you, you touched a sore spot or a happy spot, I should say, when you talked about my Maryland paraffins. I, I'm born and bred in Maryland and to go to the University of Maryland and to finally be able to comfortably put my Maryland paraffins in the bracket <laughs> Much further, hopefully, yeah, than yeah. the Sweet 16. I haven't gone pretty far this year, and that's the first time I've been able to do that in a while. So I usually always do a bracket and have Maryland winning. It's because I went there, but, of course, that's not the bracket that I ever usually count on uh, to get me any money should I win that big prize. Uh, but Maryland men's and women's basketball teams. I mean, Maryland women's basketball, right, for a long time. Uh, everyone knows what Brenda Freeze has done with the program and how Maryland basketball continues to breed WNBA players, international players, and overall they've just been a really strong program. And what Mark Turgeon has done with the men's program, I mean, he's really built it to a level where now Maryland basketball is a national conversation. And you have to remember he's doing this after the Gary Williams era. 
uh, which was not the easiest to do because that's what most of us remember. And you talked about those ACC days. Uh, but finally, Maryland is a team that some are saying has a chance to possibly bring the title home. And it's been a very long time since anyone has been able to say that about the University um, of Maryland men's basketball program. So it's a fun time to be a turf, a fun time uh, to be in the DMV. And, you know, Maryland's trying to do something that they haven't done since the early 2000s. Uh, you know what, I haven't, I, and I'll talk about this on a, a previous podcast. I, this, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a combination of a number of things as far as the college basketball. I just haven't been into it. I have not this year. I have not been yeah. into college basketball. And I, you're talking about somebody who, again, I'm a, grew up a North Carolina fan, and I, I love college basketball. I absolutely I love it. But this year, I don't know if there's – I don't see a compelling star. I don't see a compelling a compelling team. And I, to be honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised if Maryland won it all. I don't. There's not a dominant team out there. There's not a. There's not a. Speak it into uh, existence. <laughs> yeah, there, there's not a dominant team. I would not be surprised if a Maryland, a Dayton, some a team like that. Yeah, who knows? Uh, I mean, I don't, obviously you got the Baylor's of the world, Kansas. Those teams are, are very good. But it, this is this will be a year where a team can come out of nowhere, and win a championship. Maybe even a mid major. Who knows? I, I don't. There's you know, and I still watch it, watch the college basketball, but I just haven't been into it this year. I, uh, yeah. For whatever reason, I, I, you know, again, no, I think you're it's, making it's like such valid and good points, and I honestly, for me, that's what makes this year fun because, like you said, we haven't really had that dominant uh, program. So of course, last year Virginia took the title, and Virginia had been really good. Uh, all season pretty much, and I don't think it was as much of a surprise, but our usual continues. You talked about University of North Carolina, and we've seen their struggles. You look at the Dukes, and you're no longer shaking when you see that Duke basketball team, the Kansases of the world. (laughs) That's the thing, and that's what I think makes it fun, and I think we're seeing the same thing in the NBA this year where it is really wide open. And Of course, I mean, Lakers are the Lakers, right? They've got LeBron, and it's hard to do anything against that, but I feel like now finally – and basketball, it's more open, right? You're going to go buy that turf jersey because you believe that they might get there. Uh, because like you said, I mean, everything that we've known in college basketball this year, uh, this season, everything has changed and shifted. And I think it's fun to be a fan now because, as you said, I mean, this is March, and we've seen crazy marches. But I think because of the current standings, you just truly don't know what's going to happen. And for me, that means my eyes are going to be glued to every single thing, because I do think it's going to be that upset team that surprises us all and possibly ho- uh, hoists that trophy and becomes national champion. Yeah, I, I, I just, it, it'll be it should be a wild tournament. Now, you know, I looking looking at your career right now, I feel like you are in a, I mean, in a great place as far as how like the timing that you've come that time that you've come along um you look at women in media uh the taylor rookses of the world the carrie champions rosalind gold alande uh, i apologize if i messed up her name um i you know even some of the ogs like jamil hill jamel hill who's still around uh robin roberts who's a, a whole legend uh you have to be excited about you know, uh, about so many women that are prominent in, in the sports world. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, you said so many that I look up to, and I'd add, like, Maria Taylor to that list, the Pam Olivers, yeah, Lisa Salters, yeah. you know, and it's just so many women uh, really now making a name for themselves. And I think we're seeing more women, especially minority women, um, in sports today than we've ever seen before. And we see them at the highest levels. And we see them controlling their own destinies. You talked about Jamel Hill, and we saw what transpired, but she's created a lane for herself and has really become someone that's become a household name. Um, and you talked about Carrie Champion. I think the same thing when she made the announcement that she was leaving ESPN. It was a shock and major. But, again, it shows people who are making a lane for themselves. You have the Joy Taylors. Uh, I mean, just so many. And I think Taylor Rooks has really taken off such – for such a young age and such a commanding presence, we see her everywhere, and it just shows. I think it's the year of black girl magic um, at its best because, as you said, I mean, they're there and doing it. But I will still say there is still, unfortunately, not enough uh, uh, resources 
are places for black female journalists. And I think that they're trying to continue to break down barriers because though we've seen success, the playing field is still not leveled. It's still not equal um, across representation. And I think we're still all fighting to have a seat at the table. And, you know, what they've done, again, is tremendous. And I appreciate all of them because I can say all of them have not only made it, but have made sure to pick up other women um, along the way, which is huge. And I think that's how we all succeed. So I think it's one of the most exciting times to be in sports uh, because we've never seen this before. But again, I do want to reiterate, there's still, there's still, there's still, there's still not, unfortunately, not enough uh, female journalists in sports because there's still situations we're in where sometimes we are still the only one in the room. Um, and it should not be that way because I think sports journalism should be a reflection of how diverse this country is. I think until we get to that point, we still have a lot of work to do. So they have been the trailblazers. They continue to pave the way. And I think the rest of us are following along, but again, making sure, sure that there's space for others uh, to come up behind us um, and, and just be great and just be the next breed of great sports journalists. I, you know, you, you bring up something and I'm glad you brought that up uh, because, you know, I, I mentioned all these names and they're, that's still only a handful of names. They're upon not when you compare it to thousands upon thousands of positions. So let's like to your point, let's let's keep that in perspective. I think that might I think people will hear all the hear, hear all the names that I just mentioned and think that there's, you know, all of a sudden now a, a, an abundance of women in sports um in terms of media coverage, which to your point is not the case. Why is that uh in two thousand twenty when we live in such a diverse time in uh, such a progressive time? Why why do you think that's the case? So that's a great question. And I think because we see more representation kind of towards uh, the entry point of sports journalism, those entry-level jobs. But at the top where those decision makers are, we don't see representation there and we don't see as much diversity. And if you don't have diversity at the top level, it's kind of hard, harder for non-diversity to try to hire diversity uh, because they haven't been exp experienced or exposed to that. And so I think that's why we continue to fight to make sure that we have diverse decision makers making a, making a chance and decision. We continue to make sure that all journalists have a seat to be interviewed uh, and to be considered for positions. And if we think about it in this industry, it's a lot of who you know. That's a fact. Um, and if you haven't been exposed to certain resources or certain people, which is easier for some than others, it's hard for people to know about you. Um, and it's still important to the old boys club up top. And it's, they're still set in some of their ways. And, again, we started to put a crack in the glass ceiling, but it, it's not been broken. And we started to have a seat at the table. Uh, but we need to make sure there's multiple seats at that table and that we're not only at that table, but that we're seen and heard and our, and our voices and values um, our opinion our, our, and our value, our voices and values are, you know, are really taken for granted, unfortunately, but we want to make sure that they're valued. And I think what's exciting, though, I'll tell you about this time, is that we see through the power of social media, more media outlets and more news uh, getting called out for not having diversity, uh, because we have the power to to say when something's wrong, what's wrong. Uh, I'm a part of the National Association of Black Journalists, and they have been on the forefront. Our current president has been on the forefront and has tweeted to companies that do not have enough diversity. We have called people out at our career fair and journalism fair, and I'll give you an example. Um, so CBS Sports is one of the companies um, that they said, hey, where is the representation? We matter. We're here. And CBS Sports stepped up. They came to our career fair, and they actually ended up hiring journalists of colors who now serve as sideline reporters and did this past basketball and current football, this past uh, football and current basketball season as sideline reporters. So I think that's the, where the power is. But again, it's hard to it's hard to make the top change uh, when they don't they don't have diverse voices up there because you need someone to to voice their opinion for you, to root for you, to push for you. And it's a lot harder to do that with a person that has no experience with someone like you. Um, so I think that's why we continue to see, unfortunately, the disproportionate numbers of journalists of color, um, especially when you're looking at outside of uh, basketball and football coverage. Uh, we want to make sure that all sports have diversity in the locker rooms, on press row, in the media room, uh, you know, and much more because I think a diverse 
sports voice is important, especially to our viewers, our listeners, um, and, and our audience overall. Uh, because, you know, you, when you write something, when you report something, you're not only taking those facts, you're taking your background and your experience in that as well. And I think we have something unique to offer, and that's why I think our voices will always be needed. So at heart, you are a journalist. Um, I wanted to ask you if how tough is, how difficult is it to balance pure journalism with the and you, we just you just mentioned it with the with this new social media age where you know news is being reported by the second on Twitter whether it is accurate or not. How do you kind of balance that getting it first of getting it right versus uh, putting it out there first? Yeah, that's another great question. So, I mean, now, because of social media, more people are trying to just get it out there first. And I think we saw the unfortunate things that can happen with the tragic uh, loss of Kobe Bean Bryant. Uh, Remember, when the Kobe news first broke, there was multiple news outlets that unfortunately broke it wrong. First, it was just Kobe. They didn't know about his daughter, Gigi, that we also lost. And then there was multiple conflicting reports about how many other people uh, were in the helicopter crash as well. And I think they completely forgot the implications uh, for the families at that point. But so many journalist organizations had just wanted to get the news out, and they did not care about our journalism principles. And if you're a journalist, you know we have ethics and values and principles that we are supposed to be upheld to. That is why you go to school for journalism. And I think now, again, because of social media, we live in an age where we're not caring as much to get things right. We're just caring about getting it first, and then, oh, we'll just go back and edit and fix that because you can do that on a website or you can do that in a tweet. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just it's sad. I think the old school journalistic principles are starting to leave us, um, and we're, lo- we're, left, we're left in this rough place where, as you said, I think many journalism organizations are asking, do we take our time to get the story right or get it first and get that attention? And so I think if you are a true journalist, you're never going to sway or leave your values that you agree to uphold. I think that's what makes a journalist different than just a regular blogger or someone on social media who's putting news out. Yeah, I mean, anybody, and you, the, the one part, and as a 30-plus year Laker fan, uh, I, you know, that, that was, you know, that, that was as rough as it gets. Um, they, they, I mean, they killed Rick Fox. Remember, they, they, they had Rick yeah. Fox in the grave. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, that, yep, yep. Those and think about how detrimental well. that is. Like, that's crazy. Uh, it, and it's sad. Yeah, it, it's so sad yeah. that that happened. Yeah, that, 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 you know, the fact that, I mean, it was like, Listen, I, you know, I trust TMZ. TMZ is about 98% accurate. Like, so when I see something TMZ, yeah. I'm pretty sure that it's accurate. They're the one, they are the one get it first and get it right organization out there. But uh, that had to be rough uh, to see that if you're, you know, if you're Vanessa Bryant, uh, to, to, for that to be your first, you know, contact, yeah. not contact, but, you know, seeing it first off of social media. I mean, I, I can't, you know. I, I can only imagine, but that's the world yeah. we live in. Uh, everything is connected towards, uh, you know, social towards social media. What now? You have you wear a lot of hats. You're a host. You are a reporter, journalist, uh, sideline. What? Which one? You know, how do you balance? How do you balance all? The, how do you balance your career in terms of how many, how many hats you wear and throughout the course of the. the throughout the course of the year and, you know, the traveling, how do you, you know, what, you know, what do you do to, uh, you know, stay sharp at all those particular uh, positions? Yeah, that's a great question as well. So, I mean, I think time management is a skill that I'm still learning, but it's something that you have to learn and it's different for everyone and you have to know what you can balance. I am a person that's luckily able to balance a lot of different things and still give 100% to each thing, but that's not for everybody. But I would also say because I want to grow and because I want to be flexible and because I don't want to be put into a box, I love doing a variety of things. So most of the times I am that person that does not go out much because I just don't have that free time. Uh, Most of my time is spent studying for the next thing. I mean, my day always looks like I'm covering this event, I'm covering that event. 
I'm recording a radio show. I'm recording a podcast. I'm a guest on a radio show. I'm a guest um, on a podcast. I'm preparing for TV hits. Um, I'm constantly traveling, racking up airline miles and hotel points. And so my day is never the same. And then I also teach a college course. I also have a student that I, I mentor um, and I'm his capstone advisor at Georgetown. And because I can, I committed to all these things, I have to make time uh, for all these things. So I really as much try to plan out ahead as I can, but this is sports. Uh, things happen. I sometimes get stuff last minute. But I feel like if you're always well prepared, uh, nothing will ever be a surprise and you'll always be ready. Because I always say, you have to remember, if you really want this, when opportunity knocks, you're going to be ready and you're going to kill that opportunity. And that's how I kind of look um, at everything. And I think, again, I just I work with great people. Um, you know, they understand my, my situation and when, when I come from, but they also expect me to produce and do it at my best. Um, and so luckily I've been able to balance it and continue to grow. But freelancing, again, it's not for everyone. It's a lot. Some people need that balance, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I like it because I think that means every day is a thrill for me, and I'm able to do a variety of different things. Um, and I'm just continuing to – I just am able to continue to build my portfolio, which has truly been a joy in itself. Yeah, I mean, you you are absolutely everywhere. Um, wow, you're teaching a college course. See, that, that – that that one would be that one kind of surprise me that you you're teaching you know, you're under thirty yeah you're teaching a college course how I how, am so how is that? <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's so funny because I say the same thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm 27 and I have college students. Um, But you know, I think that just shows you, you never know where your life is going to go. Like I think I've always thought about myself as a teacher. I just didn't see it right now, but the opportunity came and it was presented to me um, and I took it and I'm enjoying it. And I've already been asked to come back now for this, for the summer, spring, uh, and next fall semester, so I guess I'm doing something right. Um, but it's fun. I'm teaching introduction to podcasting and radio. And when you're teaching, there's nothing like it because, I mean, as much as I learn, there's nothing like giving it back to students and seeing the gleam in their eye. You see, you see in their eyes, again, why you first joined journalism and why you first started, and they think it's a great refresher. And, again, I don't think there's anything better than giving back, and I feel like me giving back is me teaching this course. Um, and I think it's going to open many more doors where, you know, I mean, I think there's big news coming. I, I think I started with this one college and, you know, it, it might expand, um, but it's great. You know, it's, I spent my night last night grading and nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's really, you know, I learned something from them, you know, as much as I think they learned from me. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I, I, I've been in education for 18 years now. I can, I like that. So I, I know how difficult it is. I, I, I teach. I don't lead teach. I don't lead in classroom, but supporting students. So it, it is a is the, probably one of the toughest jobs, one of the toughest and most rewarding jobs at the same time in the world. It really is. But uh, so I definitely applaud you from that yeah. standpoint. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and also, also we talked about earlier about you know. The, Gathering, getting more women into sports and journalism—that is, that's a perfect opportunity to uh, to do that. I mean, maybe you encourage and so maybe someone in your classroom wants to be the next, you know, Kelsey Nicole Nelson. Yeah, I love it. I'll tell you, my class now—I teach at Doral College. It's uh, in Doral, which is basically right outside of Miami. And the best thing about my class is that. Pretty much all my students are minorities. And, again, I talk about representation matters. So think about how powerful it is to have a group of mostly minority students with a minority professor in journalism. You do not usually get that everywhere. And I think that just speaks volumes. And I hope, you know, I can be a beacon for them to connect them. And I hope they do see me as someone they can look up to and someone that they can uh, kind of model their career around. And I want them to be better than me, right? Like, I think now student journalists, because of social media, they can start their career so much earlier than we had. And I only want them to be the best version of themselves. But, I mean, there's never a day that goes by that, you know, I'm not thankful for the position that I've been put in. And I think I have a responsibility to be the best that I can be for them. Um, because, again, I talked about it earlier, but I don't want this to be just me. I want to help open doors for others. And there needs to be a lot more uh, black female uh, sports journalism professors, I think, throughout the co collegiate ranks. Uh, black males, too, for that matter. 
Um, but I'm always for opening doors. And again, representation matters. And, you know, in me, I see a reflection of my students, and, and I know that will forever speak values to them. No question about it. Um, I had a professor, and this is long, this is like 20 years ago, back at uh, Temple University, uh, named Tina Green. She taught college and race and college athletics. And tremendous, tremendous uh, mentor, teacher. She was just I, again. I I didn't even get an A in a class, so I I got I got a, I won't forget. I got a B in a class, so I won't forget my grade, which was yeah. Fine. I, I deserved it. Yeah, I deserved it. I deserved it. She I, she was phenomenal. Um, we you know she used to talk about she was talking about things with Serena Williams and Venus Williams. I mean, going way back, going when they first started, talk about the racism that they were dealing with at the time. Um, Amazingly, yeah. Serena is still relevant for 20 years later, which is just remarkable in itself. Yeah. But, uh, I, to your point, you know, that impact of a, of a quality teacher, especially a minority teacher, will, you know, if if you really connect with your students, that impact last, uh, will last a lifetime without, without question. Because this is 20 years ago, well over 20 years ago. Yeah. And um, I'll never forget her. She was, she was just uh, wonderful. Yeah, I mean, we come at it from a different perspective, and I think of all my professors, you know, who were minorities, and we were able to connect on a different level because they really knew the path that I was going to have to go through, and my path was going to be different uh, than my counterparts who were not minorities, right? And they're able to help prepare you for that because they've been through that. So I also think it's a special connection you can make with a professor that you have something in common with. Now, you do a lot of charity work, uh, a lot of you know, you're a big uh, education advocate. Uh, where does the energy and passion come from in terms of that? You have, obviously, you have a busy schedule. You're ambitious. You have a lot yeah. going on in your career. How do you even remotely find the time and energy to, to be involved in all those, you know, in all the extracurricular activities in terms of education and things of that nature? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I, if you haven't noticed by now, I'm a very high-energy person. <laughs> Um, so I feel like I'm just, I'm always on the go. Like it, for me, it feels weird to not be doing anything, but you know, I didn't grow up rich. I didn't grow up fancy. Um, you know, my parents had to work for everything. I had to work for everything. And my parents, you know, they worked a lot. I was the first child. I had, I, I you know, they, they moved up here from down South to make a life and make sure, you know, I could be anything I wanted to be, but that meant Usually I was always the first kid at daycare and the last one to leave. And I was one of those people that always had hands touch me. And the story that I went to my first ever professional game, uh, basketball, football game, and any type of professional game, because I had tickets given to me uh, through the Boys and Girls Club. I was able to get my first ever tickets to a game and getting that thrill and experience and getting to see sideline reporters and play-by-play analysts, uh, color commentators up close, I'll never forget that. Um, and so a lot of me, um, you know, was because of others uh, investing into me and pouring themselves into me. You know, I had free tutoring help because my parents couldn't afford tutors and things like that. So I had a lot of people help me. So giving back is important because I think uh, that's how you make your community stronger. And, again, it was done to me, and I'm one of those people, each one teach one. We stand on the shoulders of giants to whom much is given, much is received. And I really try to live out that purpose. So, I mean, if there's ever something, and I'm one of those people that's bad to say no. I'm, I'm bad at saying no, especially if it's for community service, because I love giving back. I love seeing someone smile. Um, I think you never know the difference you can make. And, again, your community is only as strong as the people in it. And so I think we all have to work to make sure that, you know, this country is equitable and that we have equality for all. And I think until we get to that point, everyone should be serving and giving back and making time for it. You're never too busy to give back. No question about it. Um, and you definitely do that within this uh, community. Speaking of the DMV, um, the state of the DM, the sports world in the DMV right now, what, what are your thoughts on, the, you know, as you look upon what the Capitals are doing, what the Nationals just did, what, what are your thoughts on the, on the, on the, in the sports world within, uh, this, within the DMV? How are you feeling yeah. about it? Yeah. So for a long time, I'll be honest, we said D.C. sports are cursed. We were like, none of our teams <laughs> are going to bring home a championship. And we had went through a drought. 
through a big drought, yeah, and you know, it <laughs> it was tough. It was tough, but all of a sudden, you know, we had the Washington Valor win a championship. Arena Football League team. We had the Washington Mystics just win their first ever franchise championship, which I knew was going to happen once they get that missing piece, who was Elena Deladon. We saw our Capitals right. win the Stanley Cup. We saw our Nationals win the World Series. I'm saying something's in the water in D.C. Now, we wanted to trickle to the Redskins and the Wizards, but it's going to take a lot longer for those teams to catch up. But for now, we're enjoying it. But I think it just talks about how great right now the DMV is. We've always, I have always said the DMV breeds ball players, and I'm talking about homegrown people. But now I think we're also getting in our professional sports teams. We're getting the right parts and pieces. And D.C. is some, a city that's growing and changing. And I think our sports teams, again, you're getting so many new fans into the city, but also those of us who have been here. We've been waiting for this moment, and finally everything is clicking. And when I say it's a fun time to be in the DMV, it's a fun time to be in the DMV because we are covering championships. And I think it's only right that the nation's capital gets a chance to have world-class champions. Kelsey? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that the Nationals run, um, and I watched every game um, from start to finish in the postseason. That run was just – I've never been – and I'm not, I'm a Nationals – I'm rooting for the team, but they're not my my first team. I am a, a nat, I, I, I grew up a uh, San Francisco Giants fan with Barry Bonds and, and players like that. But I've never been as excited – watching a team outside my own team that I root for win a championship. It was it was remarkable to watch. It was so much fun. And, again, D.C., we needed that. Like, Nash fans are for real in D.C. Um, and it was just so much fun, you know, being a part of that and experiencing it and just seeing the team come together um, and do what we always knew they could do. And you talked about it. I mean, it's, if you weren't a fan of that, I mean, I, I don't know what you were watching. And I think the World Series was everything we wanted and more. It was suspenseful, and it came down to the last game. Uh, I mean, who could ask for anything more than that? Um, you know, I think it was just it was just phenomenal. Like I said, finally, the Nats, we've, the Nats had all the pieces, but just because you have all the pieces does not mean it's going to come together. And then I think now, even more than ever, because we found out what happened with the Astros, um, I think it makes it even more special <laughs> that the Nationals Absolutely. got that win. No, no question about it. I mean, being a loaded, loaded Astros team um, in their home ballpark down to nothing. Uh, no, they, they were a special team. There, there was no two ways about it. Um, they, again, I think they'll be very good this year. Well, you know, we'll see what happens, you know, with them losing Rendon. But, to, I mean, the most important pieces are, are uh, the pitching, which they still have, Strasburg uh, and Scherzer and, you know, Corbin and, and, and those guys. Which which sport do you like covering uh, the most? Like, what what is, you know, are you, do you like hosting? Are you a host by nature or are you, somewhat, are you like a sideline, being a sideline before? Yeah. That's a great question. I will say nobody's ever been able to just give me one title because I do it all, and I love it. I love being in the studio. I love doing sideline. I've even had a chance to do some color and play-by-play before. Um, but I, I will say the sport that I like to cover the most, I'm going to just be honest, I love football. Like football, you're in these huge stadiums, and the fans are awesome. I mean, from the time you're pulling up in your media in uh, your media parking lot to walking through the tailgates. Everyone's grabbing you. Everyone has a story. Uh, the staff is phenomenal. And then football is just it, – I grew up with it. That's what I know. That's what I love. And, you know, usually we're in for a good game. Um, and, again, I think it's just all the parts of a football game are just so much fun to watch. And, like, that's why for me, like, accumulating in a game like the Super Bowl, which is pretty much the biggest game in the world, like, there's nothing like that. Um, so it's phenomenal to watch. But basketball is closely behind there because I love the NBA arenas. I think NBA players, too. Uh, you really get to get close with them because, of course, it's not as many guys on a team. Um, and it's just fun. Basketball fans are also great. There's nothing like a good NBA final series. 
Um, but football, there's something special about it. And, it's you know, it's kind of how I first got my start covering high school football and then high school basketball. And it's, it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving um, as I get those unique opportunities to cover the game. What was it like covering the Super Bowl uh, this year in Miami? Oh, my gosh. The words to describe it, incredible, I guess is the word I would use. We had a great game this year, right? Much better than the game so we this, had I mean, previously so in Atlanta. Yeah. You went to, so you were at the game. Yes, you're How? breaking up a little bit. I'm sorry. Can you hear me? You still hear me? Okay, now I can hear you. Okay. How was it covering – how was it being at the game versus the week leading up to the game? Yeah, so Radio Row Week, I'll tell you, it gets crazy. So usually I got there on – I got there Sunday, but I started Radio Row on Monday. Monday is crazy, but not as crazy. So, like, I'm trying to think about a way to do it. So, like, Monday is like when you usually go to the shopping mall, right? It's busy, but, you know, you can get around and make space. By the time you get to Friday on Radio Row, it's like you're trying to find something during Black Friday instead of shop is all. It's crazy. There's athletes everywhere. There's celebs everywhere. There's PR people trying to grab your attention. I mean, at one point I was interviewing Jeezy. Lil Nas X is walking behind me. Um, I see Salad and Wilcox. Like, it's, it's like everybody was, like, right there at one time and, like, you're trying to focus on – um, you know, it's, it, it, I mean, I have Lee Steinberg people waiting for me to get him on my next set. Like, it was crazy, but it was a lot of fun. And then the game is, I mean, it's everything you can think of this more. I mean, the game, the game is crazy. It's noisy. It's loud. Remember how much people are paying for those seats. People aren't sitting down. You know, the media is up on the edge of their feet when it's a good game. We're all in shock. You know, the game is going back and forth. You have an incredible halftime performance. So literally, it's like one of those experiences where it goes fast, but you'll never forget how that moment was because it's it's crazy chaos, but it's the most fun you'll ever have. The reason I asked I asked you that uh, there are a lot of people, or even a few, a lot of media people. Now I'm sure I mean there are a number of these people who have also covered and went to the game, did both. But there are a lot of people who will just do the radio stuff a week and we'll go home and watch the game. Like that. I've heard a lot of people say, media people yeah. say that they don't it's popular. watch it. It's popular. Yeah, and I'll like, tell you why, because when you're at the game, you can see the game much better on TV for one. Uh, for two, the right. media credentials are obviously really hard to get, um, you know, for the actual game. Um, and then number three, especially like the halftime show. I didn't really get to see the halftime show good until after. <laughs> after the game, because when you're in the game, you can really just see on top, and you don't get to see all the fancy fanatics and Shakira sticking her tongue out right into the camera. You don't get to see all that. Um, you kind of see more of the craziness. But then also, Radio Row is draining, all right? So sometimes by the time Radio Row is, you're just you're out of it. And then also, because of the Super Bowl, so many people, some people like to go home before the game, because, of course, that airport the day after the Super Bowl is madness and chaos because you have everybody trying to leave at one time. I think there are those people that just don't want any part of that. And I don't see anything wrong with that, especially if you have covered it before. It's not as big um, of a deal. And then, of course, also, if it's not your home team that you're usually covering, you might not be as pressed to cover that game. So when so when it came time for you to cover the game, you could basically just relax. When, when the, all the hard work was done during the, the, the radio role, that particular week. What, See, I wouldn't say so, day. no. I think I think the game is not even relaxing. Like, you're still on your ones and twos. You have to get the news out. You have to get the story out. It's loud. It's going fast. And so I think until after the game is when I could, like, you know, finally breathe. Uh, because the game, I think – I think a game day is like you're, it's like you're about to, you're going on stage, right? The curtain's opening and it's time for you to perform. And, you know, I see Radio Row as like that kind of final dress rehearsal um, that you're doing. But so for me, it wasn't like that. For some, it might be. It wasn't as crazy, of course, as Radio Row. Uh, but Radio Row just gets me so excited for the game because there's so much happening. And I always tell people, like, even if you don't go to the game, like, it, even if you're a fan, like the Super Bowl is just truly one of those experiences I highly recommend for any and everyone. Yeah, I, I, I have to get down there. I know Miami was just, I, I can't imagine what. Uh, and Miami it was Miami, was like. right? Which is a perk. <laughs> nice weather, yeah. like, I mean, no jacket. Like, you couldn't ask for anything better. So I, I was I, I was listening to um, 
Taylor Rooks about a year ago uh, talking about you know her breaking into the industry and wanting to be taken seriously, not just because of how she looked. Um, obviously, there are a lot of you know, you know the perception of her looks. You know, she she's attractive and what have you. Do you find it difficult? You find it tough to people to understand on how you look versus your actual skill set. Where's that balance at? And and, and because of the, the, the likes of say Attila Rooks, Carrie Champion, some of the other women that are uh, prominent that you know are perceived to be. Uh, I mean, let's be honest, we are perceived to be attractive. Do you find do you find that helps you? Saying that you no, know, we're not just looking at her yeah. looks, but we. He has a skill set. Yeah. I think, if anything, it kind of makes the world difficult. And this, again, this is just my personal experience. I mean, people can look at me and think what they want. But I think sometimes I'm pigeonholed into this box where people think, oh, she's just a pretty face. Uh, or talk about your body. Um, I mean, I, I've been online before, like, she's probably there because or something. And I think those are the common things that they get, too, which is um, it's unfortunate. And it's something uh that we commonly face can you hear me yeah yeah i can hear you okay sorry um and and so and i've had somebody tell me before they wouldn't let me in a locker room because i thought i would be a distraction and that was simply based off of how i look (laughs) so when i say it's not to me been helpful and don't get me wrong i mean I think when people see uh, sports reporters on social media, yes, it can help you get social media likes and things like that. But when it comes to the actual business, I think sometimes people think you got there for that and not your hard work, uh, which can be a hindrance. And if you see Taylor Rook, she's really put the work in. Carrie Champion has really put the work in. But still there will be people that judge them, judge me, simply based off of looks. And it's just unfortunate, right, because we've put the work in, we've put the skills in, and that's why we're there not for anything else. And it's like, we're not just saying this. We've done the work to prove it. You can Google it and see the work that's been done to get to that point. Um, I mean, but, I mean, it is TV, right? So, they, I mean, broadcasters, I mean, I'm not on the business side, but I would assume they do want somebody that people like to look at, right, um, when it comes to TV. But, again, I think you have a harder road to prove um, that you're there for your skills and talent because uh, beauty fades, right? Talent doesn't. Right, right. look fades. Right. Talent doesn't. So even if your look gets you in the door, it does not mean it's going to keep you there. All right. So I think people also have to understand that. Yeah, I mean, I think that is absolute. I, I, I think that what you just said is a, a thousand percent true, and I think that would be a lesson for any up and coming young broadcasters, um, male or female, because you know there are a lot of there are a lot of great, good looking people out. And you know, eventually, yes, we all gonna get up. We're all gonna get old, whether we're, we're whether we're attractive or not. And eventually, right. you, you're gonna have to stand, have something that you can stand on as far as your skill. And you know, it has to be it, there has to be substance over style at some at, at a certain point like that. There's always a you know I, I I say this to young people all the time in terms of you know don't get caught up in you know the Instagram likes and. And, and what have you? There's always another 20 year old, 18 year old, right around the corner as far as you know, in terms of looks, in terms of that, that's that from that standpoint. So you know that you know you're a thousand percent right in terms of building your skill set and you, you know you built your resume and, and what have you. But it, it's, it's, I would I would I would I would think that considering how many talented uh, you know how many talented uh, women that are out there in sports right now that 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 wouldn't be held against them because it'd be like, hey, these, you know, yes, they are, you know, these women are attractive, but they have a skill. They they do have a skill set. Like you said, Carrie Champion and a number of other uh, women out there have a skill set. I even mentioned, like, uh, I've got the, um, Stephanie uh, Reddy. She's on NBA TV. Yep, you know, she's, yep. Mm-hmm. She's, good. she's very good. Um, uh, Malika Andrews, who's younger. Off, on yeah, ESPN. and she's so young, and look where she got, you know. Yeah, Malika's very young. She is. Yeah, I think she's yeah, like she's... 24, 25. Um, and then Steffi Reddy, she really put in work, um, you know, with the Charlotte Hornets before she got to NBA TV. So, right, like, you can look at their bios and the work that they've done. I think they're, I mean, they're all beautiful women. 
but they're not there because of their looks. They're there because of the work that they put in and they grinded, they networked, and they met the right people, and then the right uh, doors and opportunities opened. We talked earlier about um, you're talking about getting a seat at the table, and this is something that I've, uh, you know, I've been in the broadcasting for for a long time, and thankfully we have these platforms, whether it's YouTube or Stitcher or a number of, you know, iTunes, you know, these pot now with the podcast and that out, you know, I don't have to, you know, count on a radio station to for my voice to be heard. I wonder with you as a freelancer, if, you know, like let's say you don't get that seat at the table, not saying that you will that you will that you won't, you know, you're well on your way. Are you cool with that from a certain standpoint of saying, Hey, I will create my own table with so many different opportunities and so many different platforms and so many different ways that I can put my, my material, my content out there? You know, I think I've done that. I if I I will a lot of my jobs I've gotten and I get a lot of jobs now, especially hosting gigs through social media, and it's me pushing and promoting myself. Because I think as a freelancer, you don't have that backing of a company always pushing and promoting you, right? It's a lot of you doing it on your own, because essentially you're like a consultant to many different companies, right? Um, and every day is an audition for me. I have to work to keep that freelance gig and that freelance job, because I don't have that uh, long-term contract, right? Um, so for me, I do think now with social media, I mean, you can make your own, your own Periscope, your own YouTube channel. I mean, you can buy a camera literally and start, you know, to do anything. You can, you know, make a podcast. Uh, like there's so many ways for you to create your own lane and get your voice heard. So I don't see now why anybody could not start to do anything. You can make your own blog. Like it's easier now more than ever to reach people and get a following than it's ever been before. Um, and so I think I've done that. I think I see so many doing that. And I think that's why now, you know, journalism is much more different than it was before because uh, everything's going digital. So if you have a digital presence, you'll have a space in the industry. A couple of things before, uh, before I let you go. One, and this, this jumped out to me today. Uh, so Tim Duncan became the, uh, not became, but filled in for Greg Popovich. Uh, as the uh, act, you know, interim head coach for a game. Um, Tim Duncan joined the Spurs as on the in 2019. Becky Hammond was coach was has been assistant with the Spurs for since 2014, which I found curious that they would let Tim Duncan with one year experience versus Becky Hammond with six years experience. What were your thoughts on that? I see your viewpoint and where you're coming from, but let's be honest. I mean, Tim Duncan and what he did for that organization, they will never forget. And it's kind of like, you know, having that. It's like if you have that uh, when you're in high school, that best basketball player, no matter what he's doing now, when he comes back to that high school, he's still the king because of what he contributed to that school. And I think that's what we see with Tim Duncan. Like everyone knows what he did for the NBA and for the game, and everyone respects Tim Duncan. And, yes, I would have loved to see her get the opportunity. She should have gotten the opportunity. Don't get what I'm saying wrong. What I'm saying, I'm not surprised um, because of, again, what Tim has done for the NBA um, and that organization as a whole. Um, and so they're trying to support him as best as he can as they see it a way, as a way of giving back. I mean, if you look at Tim Duncan's career, not only was he a great basketball player, like Tim was never in trouble. He did the community service stuff. He truly loved the city that he played in and did so much for them. So anytime Tim needs anything and it looks like, I mean, this is going to be his new route, they're going to do whatever they can to get him to that point. And then also remember their special relationship that Tim Duncan had with Greg over the years. I mean, he probably knows Greg in a way that none of us could even imagine, you know, because he was kind of able to break through that tougher exterior and get to a side of Greg that we don't always get to see. So when I say, like, he probably knows secondhand knowledge um, and literally probably knows Greg to a T, you know, that's probably the person that they felt the closest uh, to, to being that Greg. Another thing, you had a tweet. I, I got to pick I have a little bone to pick with this tweet that you sent out today, and I think you know where I'm going with this. Tony Romo, well-deserving of uh-huh. a 17 and a half million dollar a year contract. Now, yeah. 
If somebody is willing to pay for it, pay pay you, then you're worth it. Worth it. I tell anybody in any particular industry, market value, what have you. We have a number of players who who are considered to be quote unquote overpaid, but market value is market value. Only reason I, I was curious about that amount of money that Tony Romo got. I'm looking at a Bob Costas, looking at Al Michaels, even when John Madden was in his prime in charge of doing these games. Never got those guys who are whole legends, never got anywhere near, even Jim Nance now today. Jim Nance does the Masters, college basketball, golf. He's, he's everywhere for, for CBS. Been with CBS forever. He's only getting like $5 million a year. I just wonder what those broadcasters are thinking watching Tony Romo, uh, you know, three or four years out of retirement, basically tripling their salary. So there's a lot of conversation around this, but I think Tony Romo was able to create uniqueness in his position that we haven't seen before. And I think all the names you said, phenomenal, great, legendary broadcasters. Don't get me wrong. But Tony Romo was able to have us talk about him each and every week on social media, which is now the new numbers. There are people tuning into games more just to hear what Tony would say. And even if he annoyed you, you knew what he was saying because he was trending on social media. He, I mean, the way he was able to call plays before they happened, I mean, that inside knowledge he brought, CBS knew they had to do something because if they didn't, ESPN was going to rind him and grind him up and add him on. And that's the thing about it. When you're able to resonate with listeners and viewers the way he was, you're going to always have a job and make it valuable. And I'm not mad at the man getting his money because in my mind, if Tony Romo got that $17 million, if you're better than that, you'll get more than that. And I think he really set the new standard and bar. No, listen, I'm not I, – I enjoy Romo's broadcast. Um, now, I'll, I'll give you a little – listen, the reason why you're able to call plays before they happen because you're at the practices. And you're also an ex-court. You, you were, of course, he was a and he's a former athlete. athlete. Right, I mean, he was a, he yeah, was a yeah, good quarterback. And, I mean, I'm say, if, you, if you have broadcasters – so, I mean, this is a bigger conversation. So, a lot of times – a lot of times when I'm competing for jobs, sometimes it's, it's against – former athletes and like you said I mean you have that really inside knowledge of the game and believe me there's some hate there some journalists feel like you know well I went to journalism school I did this and that but I also do think you have a unique perspective if you played the game on the field because you're going to always see something differently than I see something so I wouldn't take that away from Romo and I get what you're saying like there's people who put in work you know who have been doing this for a long time and Romo's getting more but guess what the business is not there Life is not fair, all right? And Tony just happened to get on the better side um, of that. So I agree with that. Like, believe me, I'm one of those people. But at the same time, who am I to say Tony Romo, who did so much in football and for the NFL, is not worthy um, of that? I brought up the play calling thing. Not saying that anybody else couldn't do it, but the way that he does it, as I'm saying, it gets us talking about him on social media. And now if you're trending for the right reason, you are very valuable to your organization, and that's what Tony Romo was able to do. Listen, I give I, – whoever his agent is, I would want them to be my agent. And his I mean, agent deserves all the props. <laughs> yes. I, I, give, I give him all the credit in the world. Uh, I was just – my, I mean, my overall point was, I, was just, I would be curious to think what a Al Michaels, Bob Costas, uh, Jim Nash, what they are, what they would be thinking. I mean, Jim Nash is in the booth with him. Like, he's making, making I know it. And think about that. You're there. sitting next to all this money. But if anything, <laughs> I think when you see somebody get that much money, that's going to make me push harder and be a better version of myself because guess what? I want that paycheck one day too. Um, that's how I look at it, right? Like if I'm sitting next to the $17 million a year man, I'm also getting the views he's getting. People are also watching me, which means I get to up my ante. So when it's time for my contract renewal, I get to prove why I'm also just as valuable. Uh, one last thing before I let you go. Uh, I also saw that you, you had posted something about the uh, one of your topics on the radio show about DC, the DMV's top five athletes. Now I had I was thinking about that today. I had a hard time, and I I was just thinking active. I didn't even go to I wasn't going to the archives. I'm thinking like currently performing, current that you know people who are currently uh, playing. I had a hard time. I had a hard time with with, with even coming up with five. But I I got my five. So All right. I, I want I want to get want to get you get your thoughts on my five. So number one, 
without question, is Alexander Ovechkin. I have him won. Yes, he's the king of D.C. Yep, he's the king. I have two. I have Max Scherzer, two. Okay. Three, I have, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce her name, Della, uh, Della Don, uh, who won champion. Elena Della Don. Yeah, Elena Della Don. She's three. She's a champion and, and a great player. Four, I have Bradley Beal, four, and five, I'll, I wrap it up with Strauss, uh, not Lee Strasberg, um, Steven Strasberg. Yeah, Stephen Strasburg. I think your list is good. I'll tell you, I love Matt Serger off my list. I think he's phenomenal, and what he's done for D.C. in general is great. I have him at, like, my number six. I put Stephen Strasburg higher because of his – because of the World Series run and what he did. And it's funny because Chris, who I was on the show with, he put Juan Soto. I think, Juan, I think he's also phenomenal. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking in terms of D.C., and I know D.C. well and what sports fans are feeling – and I put Steven right. Strasburg higher. Now, he got on me about John Wall, and I know John Wall's injured and hurt, but I still put John Wall on my list because fans still adore and love John Wall. And Bradley Bill, though I love him, he's a phenomenal basketball player, and he deserves respect. He unfortunately does not get that respect. Not just from a national sports media, but from also from D.C. sports fans. You know, you can go to a Wizards game, and it's not packed. It's not sold out. Uh, you know, John Wall really has that superstar effect. And I think Bradley really should be number two when you think about it because of his phenomenal performances that he's been having. But I think we can all say Bradley Bill does not get his fair share of respect um, from the media or from the fans. Now, I can see John Wall being top five. And he had been, before he got injured, he had been a perennial all-star, uh, made an all-NBA team. Um, Bradley Bill. And people love John. Well, dude, Leah, yeah. well, John, well, People love John because John gets around in, in the DMV. He John, yeah. John is not one of these guys who is sitting in, sitting at home just watching TV. John is out there. You can, yeah. You if you you, know, you chances are if you're in U Street or you know S two days you you might see John. You really might. You might mm-hmm. see John Wall. Don't be don't be surprised. John gets yeah. John sees John sees the people. So um, I I'm not surprised by it at all. By that at all with him being him being in the top five. I didn't even think about to be honest with you, he's been you know, he's been out so long I didn't even think about John. Of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> um because he's been hurt. But um I, I could see that. No, I, I definitely could see that. Strasburg been uh been around long in the shirts you uh, came up with the Nationals, you know, homegrown. I could definitely see that. And Strasburg was, you know, just off the chart, historically great during the postseason. Going uh, to his first pitcher to go five and zero uh, in, in postseason in the history of uh, Major League Baseball history. So, no, it's you know the thing about it is you you know we look at all these names of those names, no football players. Think about that, none. So no I had I had I had Brian Kerrigan in mind, and let me tell you this: I <laughs> Chris got but, on me for okay. that, but I, I mean the Redskins are not good. The Redskins are not good. Adrian Peterson right. is probably like the thing people get the happiest about, but I couldn't put AP there because we're not getting prime AP, right? And he's his prime. Right. Still a good player. Right. Still a good player. The reason I put Ryan is because, again, I'm thinking from D.C. sports fans, the jersey I see the most and the person who's been the most consistent on that Redskins team, and I'm not saying he gets shiny stats. I'm not saying that at all. But when we say top five, Ryan has a fan base like none other here in D.C. And, again, he's been a consistent player for the Washington Redskins organization. And D.C. sports fans show him that. I did. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I did think about him. I had to I put did, a Redskin so I, in I, it. Because I had to. We're a football I, town. See, <laughs> you, you have not. So you haven't been rooting for the team. I'm, I'm a little older than you. You haven't been rooting for them as long as I have. So I've dealt with. Now, I have seen a couple championships. I have. Back in, you know, I saw Doug Williams and Mark Rippin, but I, I've seen a lot. I've been, well, you've, you've seen all the pain. I've seen some, like, we've, seen, we've both seen some dark times, so I, I couldn't I couldn't put a red. I just couldn't put a Redskin on there. But he would have been, he definitely would have been the player, without question. If I were yeah, to put a Redskin on there, he would have been. I just what I'm saying, like, because D.C. is a football town. Believe me, 
I could have uh, left the Redskins nope. player off the list, but I would be doing a disservice to D.C. because I don't care. I mean, the Caps are great. The Nationals are great. But if you've been born and bred here, I've been to Washington Redskins-style funerals. I've been to Washington Redskins-style weddings. We breathe yes. the Washington Redskins, all right? So that's why I had to put a Redskins player on there. And when I thought about the current roster, Kerrigan is the only one I thought that I could really put on that list with a certainty. Uh, because, again, he's probably been the most consistent and probably been one of the only ones that sports fans really haven't got on. We saw the love-hate relationship that fans had um, with Josh Norman when he was here in Washington. And I think that player, had he, ha- had he not had his knee hurt and had his career continued here, that player would have been RG3 had his career stayed in Washington and that injury not hurt him. Because, I mean, I haven't seen a love for any Redskins like I did RG3 in a very long time. The the RG3 story would be another podcast. That 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 <laughs> RG3, yeah, yeah, he he, he should have been that. I'm just player, saying, think but, about it. Know. Like, had he, I mean, yeah, had no. his career went as we thought, RG3 would yeah. have been on that list, right. and it would not have been Ryan Kerrigan. No question. I mean, RG3 probably would have been. Uh, I would say he probably would have been number one. I mean, I had you know, if his career would have went the way. You know, it started out in his rookie season. I mean, was it? You would have been an you now even an unquestioned number one. Maybe maybe not unquestioned, but at worst number two. But based on your based on your you know based on your logic as far as you know and not your logic, it's fact based on it being a football town, you probably would have been number one, despite the fact that Ovechkin, you know, has a cup has a cup and is an is a all time great in his uh in his own right. Well, uh, Kelsey, right. Um, again, thank you for. Um, Join this program. Uh, I appreciate the time. Uh, certainly, I will be following your career and and what you do. And definitely, you are you have welcome any time to come on the program. You want to talk about your turn. If the Terrapins win a championship, you can you can call in and definitely uh, call in. <laughs> when when we win a championship? <laughs> when you you you're about to jinx it. You're about to jinx it. But, uh, I, I definitely appreciate the time and your time and look forward to hearing from you in the future. Perfect. Thanks so much for having me on. Have a great night. You too. Thanks. That was Kelsey Nicole Nelson. Uh, a lot of good stuff out of her as far as the, the uh, world of sports media. And you know, she's even doing some politics now. Um, in terms of covering Super Tuesday, she was out there in Virginia, and that was a you know a wild scene out there um, as we gear towards uh, election 2020. A um, couple things uh, we're going to do. Um, it's a couple things I'm going to say for Thursday thoughts because I who <laughs> was a lot. There was a few things that went on this week that I would love to talk about, but I'm going to save them for Thursday uh, for Thursday thoughts. So you got to stay tuned tomorrow. You just got to wait. What? Less than 24 hours. That's all. That's it. As always, this is The Real Deal Podcast with Surreal Joe Quinn. Thank you for joining me. I'm out.